0: Should I feel discouraged? And why should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely, longing for heaven and home? He watches me. And I know
1: Christ is risen, the Lord is risen indeed, alleluia. Good morning and welcome to this online worship service at Christ Church Plano. Though we are separated bodily, it is a joy that we can be together in spirit as we worship the Lord together in this Easter season. Will you join me now as we continue to humble our hearts before Almighty God? Praying together, Almighty God, To you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us sing together our opening hymn.
2: Let us humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who in his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who sincerely repent and with true faith turn to him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Be praised.
3: Please join me as we read Psalm one hundred and eleven. We will read responsively by half verse. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks unto the Lord with my whole heart, in the company of the upright and among the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, sought out by all who have pleasure in them. His work is worthy to be praised and held in honor, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his marvelous works to be had in remembrance The Lord is gracious and merciful. He has given food to those who fear him. He shall ever be mindful of his covenant. He has shown his people the power of his works, that he may give them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are faithfulness and justice. All his commandments are true. They stand fast forever and ever, and are done in truth and equity. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who live accordingly. His praise endures forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen.
2: A reading from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1 beginning with the third verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I now invite you to join us in our gradual.
0: Christ, my Lord.
1: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. On the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were together behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord again. He said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of another, they are forgiven. But if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, called the twin, was not with the disciples when Jesus appeared to them. And so the disciples came to him with the news, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and put my finger there and reach out my hand and put it into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were again together and Thomas was with them. And Jesus again came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it in my side, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now, Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples that are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in his name. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we believe that you inspired your servant John to record this moment on the evening of the resurrection. We believe these words that John wrote not only had power when he wrote them, but because they're inspired by the Holy Spirit, these words of power this day, this Easter season. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit and open this word for us, perhaps as never before, that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a old tradition within the Greek Orthodox Church that the Sunday after Easter, you gather together to tell jokes. And the reason being that Easter is seen as the greatest joke that God ever pulled on the devil. That God calls us to laugh in this Easter season. Because after this horrible tragedy of Good Friday, now the comedy comes out on Easter Sunday and God gets the last laugh on death. So should we be a people of laughter in this Easter season? Here's my Easter season joke. Doubting Thomas walks into a bar. He's a little bit sad because though it's a glorious thing that he's met now the risen Lord Jesus, he was the odd man out who refused to believe among the disciples that unless he saw Jesus, he would not believe. And so Jesus, even when he met him face to face, chastised Thomas somewhat for his requirement of seeing before believing. And so Thomas is a bit down as he sits at the bar, but he suddenly hears a voice. And the voice at the bar says, Thomas, you are a wonderful apostle. Thomas, you are an amazing preacher. Thomas, you are going to do amazing things for God with the gospel. So Thomas perks right up. He's so excited. The bartender walks over and sees him smiling and asks, What's going on? And Thomas says, you've got the most amazing bar. I can sit here and listen to the voice of God telling me wonderful things about myself. And the bartender says, oh no, that's not God. That's the bowl of peanuts on the bar. You see, they're complimentary. Now, the fact that we're doing this online, I have no idea whether that joke landed or not. But in all seriousness, what are we to do with Thomas? What do we do with doubting Thomas? I mean, in many ways, he sounds like a modern. He sounds like someone living today, saying that unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and put my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I'll never believe. See, for Thomas, seeing is believing. That empirical proof must be provided or else I will not believe. And here's the amazing thing. Thomas gets his wish. In verse 27, Jesus appears to him and almost repeats the same scene that he did there on that Easter evening for Thomas. Thomas gets to reach out and touch the wounds. And he believes. My Lord and my God. But then something shocking happens. Jesus says in verse 29, these words, have you believed because you've seen me, Thomas? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And you want to say blessed, it would seem that that's backwards. Jesus should be saying, oh, blessed are you, Thomas, for seeing me. But no, Jesus turns it around. He says, blessed are those who have not seen. Why? Because if Thomas had stuck to his guns... His words in verse 25 would have been true. Unless I see, I will never believe. And because Jesus is now risen from the dead and ascended to heaven and will not be seen again face to face until we see him come on the clouds of heaven in his second coming. If we, like Thomas, say, seeing is believing, empirical proof is required for me to believe, then we are not blessed at all. We are the worsts. And most to be pitied. Because unless we recognize that faith comes by hearing, as Romans 10 says, and hearing comes from the word of God, unless we understand where faith comes out of this story, we will never believe. That's why John ends his gospel with these words in verses 30 and 31. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in his name. See, what John is telling us is that these words are written. This story of Jesus is written. This gospel is written for the purpose of leading a person to faith. This is how a person comes to faith. Not through seeing, but through hearing the word. And what's amazing as we unpack this story with Thomas, even just these last couple of verses of John chapter 20, we see these things about this story. This story is corroborated, it's backed up, it's an eyewitness account. But not only is the story corroborated, it's convicting. This story will cut through all of our sin and all of our barriers to our hearts. And finally, not only is this story corroborated and convicting, but this story is converting. This story changes lives again and again. See, first, this story is corroborated. Verse 30 it says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. He did these things in the presence of the disciples. These are eyewitness accounts that are being recorded. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, we read these words, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. See, what this story is, is telling us is an eyewitness account of events that have taken place. But you may say, you know, in a, in a world of, of fake news, how can I know that this is a true story? And when I was a new believer, I was struck with two things about how this story is corroborated, how this story is verified. And it's this. First of all, Think of this story, this eyewitness account, the same way you think of how stories are told in the context of family gatherings. When you tell a family story, what happens? Well, people around the table are fact-checking as you tell the story. And if you tell one part of the story the wrong way, Uncle Bob is going to jump in and say, that's not how it happened. It happened like this. And then your sister Susie is going to add her two bits and so on and so forth. Because together the family preserves the truth of that family story, correcting again and again. And this, that's how these eyewitness stories were told, again, through this oral tradition, These together had witnessed these stories and as they told the stories, they guarded and protected and corrected the stories just like a family sitting down for Easter dinner telling family stories, but not just that. These eyewitness accounts are not just like families telling stories, but these eyewitness accounts are corroborated because these eyewitnesses would not recant their story even when they faced persecution and death. All but John, every one of these disciples, except for John, who died, as we understand, in prison, but everyone else was executed, every one of these disciples executed for their faith, for their testimony, told if only they would recant that they could spare themselves torture and death. And they went to their graves saying that this happened. I love these words from Chuck Colson, who was one of the central players in the Watergate scandal, who was then converted in prison and then became one of the most effective, most, most loving gospel ministers in this country up until his death. He writes this. He says, I know that the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? How? Because twelve men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and that they proclaimed that truth for forty years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put into prison. They would not have endured if they would have not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled twelve of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me the 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. As 1 John chapter 1 says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard. We proclaim to you also so that you indeed would have fellowship with us. These stories of Jesus These stories of the resurrection are corroborated accounts. But not only is this story corroborated, this story is convicting. Verse 31 of chapter 20 says that these are written so that you will believe. That there's an inherent power built into these words, these stories that will convict a human heart. Hearing this story will be a transformative moment for the hearer. In Acts chapter 2 the day of Pentecost Peter stands before the crowd and he preaches and effectively he simply tells the Jesus story. His life, his death for the sake and the sins of the world and then his resurrection. And at the end of it in Acts chapter 2 verse 32 we're told that the crowd hearing this was cut to the heart and said what then shall we do to be saved? And he said repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus. See they heard the story this true story of what God had done in Jesus and they were convicted they were cut to the heart. See this story does it. The word of God does this every time we read it and hear it, is it cuts through and exposes our deepest deficiencies. It cuts through like a knife and convicts us in our hearts. It reminds me of the story of the couple who are uh, having breakfast and they're, they're sitting there in their kitchen and looking through the window and they see their next door neighbor hanging out the laundry wash to dry. And, and the woman says to her husband, she says, that laundry is not very clean. She doesn't know how to wash correctly. Perhaps she needs better soap. Well, this goes on day after day. Every time they're sitting down for breakfast and this woman next door is laying out to hang, to dry her laundry. This woman is criticizing how dirty her laundry is. And then finally, one day, to her surprise, she looks out the window at breakfast and sees her neighbor putting out clean wash on the line. And she says, look, she's learned how to wash correctly. I wonder who taught her. And her husband says, I got up early this morning and decided to wash our windows. See, that kind of experience of truth cutting right through our deficiencies to expose the brokenness within us is what happens as we read this story. It has the same effect as you read the Bible again and again as John Stott, once quoting a Chinese Christian said this, every time I read that book, it kicks me. The proof that it is the word of God is that God speaks through its pages to my very soul. As Isaiah chapter 55, speaking of the performative power of the word of God says, as the rain comes down from heaven and waters the ground, providing seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So goes forth my word. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. This story is not just a corroborated eyewitness account. This story convicts hearts. But finally, this story is converting. This story changes lives. Verse 31 goes on to say, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. We desperately are looking for life, especially in a season facing so much death, asking where is life? Where is there certainty and security of life? But not even just facing a sense of death, but a fullness of life now. The, The hope is not just some Christian hope in the future of, well, if I die and when I die, then I get to live eternally with Jesus, but that there's a desire for an eternal quality of life that begins even now. And we want that life. But so often we're missing that life. So often, if I'm honest, I sabotage that life. There are things deeply broken within me that must change because I am constantly undercutting that life that is promised to me. It's like the woman on Twitter who wrote these words. Day one of quarantine. I'm going to use this time to improve my health. Day two of quarantine. Due to personal reasons, I'm eating lasagna in my shower. We have things within us that desperately need to be changed and transformed. And that's what this story does. This story converts us, transforms us, recreates us. You know, in the evening of the resurrection, before this Thomas story, that comes after. When he stands there with the disciples on the evening of the resurrection, Jesus shows them his wounded hands and and twice gives that declaration of peace. Peace be with you. And what he's declaring in that moment as he shows them his wounds and as he declares peace over them is he's showing us the means by which peace with God has been won. Through these wounds, we have been healed, as Isaiah 53 says. That God, knowing the full depravity of our hearts, has come and rescued us, has taken the penalty and punishment for our sins and placed it on Jesus. And so now we can be renewed. We can be reborn. We can be changed. And if you're in Christ, you are being changed. That conversion is a work of the Holy Spirit now changing you from one degree of glory to the next, giving you that life. But friends, it comes because a person hears this gospel, they're cut to the heart, and they're changed. They're converted by it. Faith comes by hearing And hearing comes by the word of God. There's that wonderful moment in Acts chapter 20 where Peter, and I get the sense that with the disciples early on, I mean, they were learning as they go. They had tremendous faith and courage because of the resurrection and because of the day of Pentecost. But they were learning each step of the way how to do this gospel ministry, how to be heralds of this story. In Acts chapter 10, Peter does this surprising thing. It's surprising for Peter as well. He goes to a Gentile's home, Cornelius, who is a God-fearer who's had a vision, a vision of an angel telling him to call on Peter to come and hear the gospel message. And so Peter comes. He's breaking all those societal religious norms of a Jew going into the house of a Gentile, but he goes at God's commandment. And in verse 44, after Peter's told again this whole story of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we read these words, that while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. That phrase, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell. This is a picture of how the gospel works in our world. This story the word of God but what God has won for us in Jesus is spoken over a person. And as those words are being spoken, the Holy Spirit falls into that person's life and begins to make this transformation. There's power in those words. We need to be a people who continue to believe in the converting power of this story. I remember a couple of years ago, we'd been in Plano just for a couple of years at that point, and I was talking with my eldest daughter Annabelle, and I said to her, "I said, you know, honey, you know, it's pretty amazing where God has led us here to Plano, to Texas, uh, to Christ Church. I said, but have you ever thought, you know, as our eldest, you've seen so many changes in our lives. Have you ever thought what might it have been like if I hadn't given up my theater?" career and continued, you know, Broadway bound and and done all that. Like, what kind of life do you think you'd have in comparison? And Annabelle didn't miss a beat. She said, you know, dad, you'd be drug addicted and self-absorbed. And once I thought, "Ooh, that was pretty harsh. But she's absolutely right. That's not a an indictment against those who are performers by any stretch of the imagination. That's just a conviction of what was actually going on in my life and where my life was headed before the story of Jesus came into my life when I was just about to begin my senior year of high school and converted me and changed me and turned my life dramatically around. This story converts As Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. What happened to Thomas? Well, as tradition tells us, Thomas took the story with him, and he went to India. And he was beaten and persecuted, and yet saw many converts... And in A.D. 72 was put to death. He was martyred for this story. What's amazing with the story of Thomas in India is that in 1500 A.D., when the Portuguese landed on the Malabar coast in India, they found a community of Christians who claimed that they had been founded by Thomas. And this community knew the gospel story. So what do we do with this Thomas story on the second Sunday of Easter? What we do is we realize that faith comes by hearing, not by sight. That this gospel story is corroborated, it's an eyewitness account, it's convicting, it cuts through to the inner places in our hearts that need to be reached, and it is converting, it is transformative. So friends, let us be people of this story. Let us be heralds of this story. Let us make sure that wherever we go and whatever we say that it is this story that we are bringing in to those places. Because this story, the hearing of this story, is where faith is found and formed. And therefore, it is through this story that this broken world of ours is changed. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Please join me as we reaffirm our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead,
1: from us As we come to the prayers of the people after each petition I invite you to fill that silence with your own prayers and then after lord in your mercy to respond hear our prayer Heavenly Father we thank you that because of the blood of Jesus we have access to your throne room, to bring our petitions to you as adopted sons and daughters. We pray, Father, with boldness for your church throughout the world, especially during such a difficult season we are facing. Teach us as the church how to be faithful, how to stand with those who are suffering and neglected and lonely and isolated Help us be heralds of the gospel story and see the transformation of our world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And Father, we pray for your world, a world which you love, you created, and yet a world which fell from you in sinful rebellion, and yet a world into which you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, To save. And now Jesus has sent us into this world with his gospel. Father, we pray that we'd see an end to violence and injustice, that we would see natural disaster and disease put away. We pray that this coronavirus would be brought to an end. Father, lead our medical professionals as they find cures and vaccines. And Father, we pray that under Jesus' feet, this virus would be treaded down. O oh Lord, save your world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And Father, we pray for those who you have set in authority over your church and over the world. We pray for our Archbishop, And our bishops and our church leaders praying for faithfulness as they lead and praying for our civic leaders, our president and the leaders of the nations, our governor, our state legislature, our mayor and our local leaders, our first responders and father in this season, most especially our frontline medical staff. Lord, guard them and protect them. And for all who lead, we pray that you would help us lead with justice and integrity and wisdom and grace and sacrifice and much, much love. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And Father, we raise before you now the names of those who are suffering, who are lonely, who are in need, those who are dying, and those who are bereaved. Asking for their safety, for their healing, and for their salvation. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And Father, we remember before you the faithful departed, And we thank you for their witness to us in this life. And Father, we thank you for the Easter gospel, which means that on the day of the resurrection, we by faith can stand with them before you, alive and glorious. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Almighty and everlasting God, Let us bless the Lord, thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore, amen. Before our blessing, let me just again encourage you to share these online services, both our Sunday services and our midweek podcasts and studies with your neighbors and your friends, as we pray that during this difficult season, these will be resources to help you feel close to the church, close to the Lord. We also pray that you'd continue to give generously to the work and ministry of Christ Church Plano. If you haven't already brought your giving online uh, or uh, called the church office to set up that kind of online giving, we encourage you to do so. Because though the campus is closed, our ministry is continuing at full speed in the gospel. And so now, as we continue in this Easter season, hear these words of blessing, these words of promise that have been won for us in Easter. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. Let us sing together our closing hymn of praise.
3: Hallelujah, allelujah let us go forth in the name of Christ. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia.